Well, when it's all said and done, uh, what do you want the epitaph of your life to read like? What do you want your legacy to be? What legacy do you want to pass on to your children? And in God's eyes and in his economy, what, la- what makes for a lasting legacy that you might leave beyond the grave? And is your life centered around the investment in an eternal investment, an eternal legacy that keeps on giving? Well, this morning we come to a passage in Genesis. Genesis chapter 5, if you've got a Bible, turn there. And that passage is all about family legacy. Um, It's all about family legacy, so turn there with me. Um, By way of review, as you flip there, I know it's only a few pages. Um, What we've seen so far in the book of beginnings is we've seen God's good creation. And at the top of that creation, at the center of that creation, he creates man at the end of chapter one. He creates man in his image, um, both male and female. And that means that you and I have worth and value and dignity, but it also means that he's given us a responsibility on this earth under his loving rule. And we all know when we come to Genesis chapter three, God's loving rule, um, Adam and Eve choose a different path. They choose their own path and they fall into sin. And the rest of Genesis 3 and really a lot of Genesis 4 is spent showing us the the awful effects of the fall of sin entering into the world. And so that's what we saw in Genesis 4 for the last few weeks. We we saw really the the degradation and dehumanizing of sin and the life of Cain and the moral decline that you see because of the fall and the line of Cain even. And yet there is hope. Um, even after sin comes into the world, we see in Genesis 3:15 this promise of a future deliverer from the seed of the woman. And so there's hope. And then you come to the end of chapter 4 and Cain's killed Abel. And Cain's really showing a sign of unbelief all the way through his life. And so where does this promise come from? And we saw last week that this promise will come through the line of Seth, the granted one, the appointed one to replace Abel. And so hope remains and then we come to Genesis chapter 5 and we see the line of Seth and what you're really going to see today is a contrast between the line of Cain and the line of Seth. So look there in your Bibles and if you're looking right now you're saying man this is a genealogy. I'm sitting on the on my couch uh, with my children and we're going to walk through a genealogy together. Uh, you will be surprised how applicable these principles and these themes in this chapter will, chapter will apply to your life today. As a matter of fact, when I, I'll just be honest, when I was putting through, when I was putting together the different weeks that we would study Genesis, I was thinking, okay, I wonder what it's going to be like when we get to Genesis chapter five, what's going to be going on in the world and providentially. Um, There are some themes in this chapter that really help us unpack what we're living in right now. And so there's three themes that I want to walk through with you here in a few moments. Um, Those being, what does it look like to have a legacy? And what does it look like to really live before the face of God? And what we see in this chapter is a lot of death, quite frankly. And what we're going to find out is that death is inescapable, but there is hope. And so hang with me. We're going to spend a few minutes walking through this text first. I want to give you the big picture of this text, and then I'm going to go back to those three themes uh, of legacy and life and death. And we're going to draw out some great truths, great practical truths 
uh, for us to live on. This is God's word and it's always applicable. It's always a- applicable. So Genesis chapter five, you got a Bible there, grab it. Genesis chapter five and, and the way I'm gonna do this this morning is I'm gonna begin to read and I may stop here and there and, and make a few points and then we'll come back to some of these practical applications to it. So Genesis chapter five and verse one. Uh, God's word says this, Moses writes this. This is the book of the generations of Adam. The generations, that's a key word there. We saw it in chapter two, verse four. And this is the Hebrew word toledot. And what this does, it just gives us another marker. Actually, the book of Genesis, if you read all the way through it, what you're gonna see is 10 different times uh, Moses uses this phrase, generations. And what it means is an account of. And so you see sections of the book of Genesis broken into 10 different sections with this kind of title in it. And so Moses is... Is, is honing in on this genealogy for the people of God before they go into the promised land for some specific reasons that we'll get into. And so this is the generation of Adam. And it's gonna take us from Adam all the way to Noah. So his line through Seth. Um, the second part of verse one, when God created man, he made him in, his, in the likeness of God, male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and he named them man. When they were created. So you just see a summary of really of Genesis 1 and 2. Really honing in on day 6 where God creates um, Adam and Eve, male and female, in the likeness of God with worth and dignity. Also with roles and responsibilities with, as male and female. And we know those roles find their fulfillment in marriage primarily that we saw in Genesis 2. And then verse 3. Look at verse 3 there. It says, Then Adam lived 130 years, and he fathered a son of his own. In the likeness after his image, in the likeness of God, Adam in the likeness of Seth, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Adam that he lived were 930 years, and he died. And so what you see, one of the things that starkly you see in this passage that seems very odd to the listener and to your eye there is the length of days. And so there's a number of questions that come out of Genesis 5, and I'm just gonna deal with them up front um, so we can continue on and your mind's not wondering, well, how are they 930 years? And, uh, and, and how long um, of a time period is this? And how did they marry? And how did they have children? And so the first question in here is this 900, and all of them live a very long time. And so what is that? Is that a miss? Is time looked at differently back then? There, there aren't really good answers to reinterpret uh, the length of days that these, that these saints lived especially as you look at Noah and especially as you look at Seth. And so um, I think these are real time periods that are similar, if not exactly like, similar to our lifespans, but they are much longer, that they are much longer. And so I think what you see is this. I think God created man in his image and, and there was no death and decay in the garden. And so God was really meant to live, or man was really meant to live forever um, with God in the cool of the day and spending time with God. And, and so there wasn't death and decay. And yet man fell into sin. And you know, in Genesis 2, you see the, the tree of life. And I, I guess it was somehow and physiologically, this was the superfood for Adam and Eve to, to live on. And they surely took of it. And I think it also had effects on the rest of their offspring. And so I think 
that's one of the answers that's given. Another one you could say is when you get to the next chapter, really next week, what you're going to see is because of judgment, because of man's sin, God is going to limit the length of days to around 120 years. And so what you see later and we'll get to in Genesis 9 is you, you see that man the age of man rapidly decreasing after the flood. And I think there's some reasons for that, but you get down into where people are living uh, less years than what you see here. And so I think these are real um, years, um, real times that are are close at least uh, to what you and I know as years, but I think those are the reasons that they lived longer if you have that question in your mind. And then you see, if you as you look down through the rest of the text, you see a pattern. Moses isn't just like posting, randomly posting something to his Twitter feed here. He is thoughtful. He's a master craftsman at, at writing. And there's structure here that's really important, both in what's written and also the things that aren't written um, and aren't repeated that he wants the people of God to take note of. And so when you come down to uh, verse six, really all the way through the end of the chapter, uh, you're gonna see a pattern. Um, I'll read verse six. It says, when Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. This is all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Do you see the pattern? You're gonna see it all the way down through this chapter. You're gonna see the person's name. You're gonna see how long they lived probably before their first child, and then how long they lived after that, that they had other sons and daughters. And, and then you're going to see this pattern um, where it says a total, it gives you a total number of years that they, that they lived, and then they died, and they died, and they died. Nine different times you're gonna see that. So that's the pattern that you see. You're gonna see one break in that pattern, and we'll come back to that all the way through this chapter. And so this is a genealogy. This is... Um, God remembering the creation story, him pointing out things about the different people in the line of Seth that were important. Um, And and so this is kind of a summary, if you will, of of chapter five as a genealogy and what Moses is wanting the people of God to see. But I want to draw out those three themes. I want to draw out those themes of legacy, of life, and death, because I think they have great significance to your life and my life right now, where we sit at home for the next two weeks in your life and my life today. And the first theme that I want to draw out this morning and the first point that I'll give you this morning is that leaving a legacy, a lasting legacy matters. It matters to God. I want you to notice in this genealogy, I want you to notice that there's one person that's left out and his family line. See, it starts in Adam and it goes to Noah. Cain is not mentioned in this line in chapter five. And maybe you say, well, in chapter four, you see some of his family. But if this is a genealogy from Adam to Noah, God and and Moses, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, leaves Cain out of this. He's left out of this genealogy that traces all the way back to Adam. Why did, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about what all Cain accomplished. Think about all the things Cain accomplished. Um, Last week we talked about civilization and culture and you see how his descendants um, accomplished so much in culture with industry and art and music. 
Um, and you see um, also what they accomplished in agriculture that blessed the whole world. I mean, if, if Cain's line were, were to be living right now, uh, his line would be known like the, the Steve Jobs and the Elon Musk and the Bill Gates and the Nobel Prize winners, not for peace, we know not for peace, uh, but for culture and academic and scientific advances. In our world today, the line of Cain would be praised. They would be seen as men and women like these. But what is this snuff, really, that, that Moses doesn't put Cain in this line? What does this snuff on Cain's line tell you? What is Moses trying to communicate to the people of God? What are, what are we to learn from that? I think we're to learn that what God sees is valuable. What does he see as valuable? And he sees, and you saw this at the end of chapter 4, he sees those who call upon his name. He, he writes them in his word he tells us a little bit about their lives. He cares for them. He loves them. He follows them. You see them in this way. You see, God sees a different kind of economy. He doesn't see uh, the things of this world as being imp that important to him. He, he sees the things that are important in his mind. A life of legacy, a life of lasting legacy means that we are people who worship God and follow God. And this was the mark of the line of Seth up until this point. And so that's the application. He names them, he knows them in life and in death. Those who know him, those who worship him, those who teach their children about him. This is what God values and recognizes here in this line. And so moms and dads, maybe you have kids that are grown up. Maybe you don't have kids yet, but for sure, um, as you think about raising your children, in the teaching and instruction of the Lord, Ephesians tells us to do that. It's so important to teach your kids the word. It's so important to put truths in front of them that you might leave a legacy for them of faith and, and a spiritual life. And I don't know about you with the balance of life, but there's so many things that, that vie for our family's time. And I want my kids someday, hopefully, Lord willing, when he's 25, to be able to look back and say, man, my, my parents really treasured and valued um, Christ. And I could look at them and say, what they wanted most is that I would worship God and follow him through his son, Jesus. And that is my hope for our family. I hope that's your hope for yours. But it's very difficult to balance life in the right way. But that's really our responsibility. You know, it's interesting, um, before the people of God went into the promised land, uh, Moses had a word for, for, for the nation Israel about what they ought to be about. Um, also what they ought to do to teach their children, to, to see this lasting legacy continue on. And you find that in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Maybe you know this passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Moms and dads, this is a great passage for you. Um, see, in the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 6, what you see is, is, is Moses saying, hey, you're about to go into the land, so don't forget. You need to remember the word of God. You need to remember the law so that you can go in and there can be blessing in your life. You see him repeat this at the end of Deuteronomy, but look at verse seven. Um, what about legacy? What about passing the baton? Because that's what was happening in the wilderness. They were older generation passing the baton to the younger. The older was dying off. The younger was gonna go into the promised land. And here's the charge from Moses to the people of God about how they should leave a lasting legacy. God's word says this, verse seven, chapter six of Deuteronomy. You shall teach them diligently to your children, the law, God's word. And you shall talk to them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. 
all the time, not just at family devotionals at seven o'clock, but at, at the dinner table, which is great, do that. Let that be a rhythm, but all the time that you're to be putting God's word before your children. This is a great message for you and for me. Legacy is both taught and it's caught with the way in which we live before God. Uh, my grandfather, we called him Papa, and um, Papa uh, taught me so many things. I actually had the, the privilege of living with him the last five years of his life. He had emphysema, and he died a pretty slow five-year death where he was on a respirator, um, but I treasure those years that I got to spend in his home as a family um, because I watched my grandfather um, suffer and trust God at the same time. My grandfather taught me a lot of things um, as a kid. He was intentional with me and my brothers. He taught me how to shoot a gun. He taught me how to uh, plant crops in the garden. He taught me how to uh, do agricultural stuff with um, plant life and also with our cattle. How, to, how do you raise cattle? Um, he, he taught me so much in life, but I watched him trust God through emphysema. I watched him read his Bible in the mornings. I watched him pray. I watched the way he treated my mom and my dad and those around us in our family. He was a godly man who loved Jesus. And so he taught me what this looked like, as did my parents, as did mentors. Maybe you can think of people in your life. Um, maybe you can think of people in your life that have been like that for you. Um, I also think of Psalm 71. I love this passage. You're going to hear me talk about this passage a lot as it relates to discipleship. But I watched my papa live Psalm 71, verse 17 and 18 out. And here's what Psalm 71 says. Oh God, from my youth you have taught me and I still want to proclaim your wondrous deeds. This is an older man. So even to old age and gray hairs, some of us have some of those, don't forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation. Man, let that be your charge as a parent. Let that be your charge as a grandparent. Let that be your charge as someone who might not yet have children or doesn't have children, that you get the opportunity to disciple others and raise up a new generation. Let that motivate um, and drive your life so that later in life, you're not just picking up shells on the seashore, but you are investing your life into people, that people might know Christ. That was my grandfather. And maybe there are people in your life that have been like that for you, to walk with you, to teach you, that you can learn from, that you can, might just have observed from afar. And maybe you don't have that. And maybe um, this is an opportunity in your life right now to, to seek that out. And maybe you say, well, 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 pastor, you know, all my family, none of my family knows the Lord. And so I'm trying to figure out what this looks like for myself. And um, man, you can break that cycle. The reality is, is that Surely actions have consequences, but choices are real and you get the opportunity to crank that new family line up and, and start a new legacy with your family. So I'd encourage you in that if that's where you're at. And you know, I, I think it's interesting that as we talk about family legacy and, and investing in the spiritual life of, of those next generations, here we are sitting at home um, today um, and we're sitting at home for the next few weeks. We can't, we're not even supposed to leave our homes unless for to get groceries and do essential things. And we are stuck kind of with our family. And I don't know about you, it's taken a little while to figure that out as it relates to work and home. But what a great opportunity to begin building, to continue building legacy into your family. A legacy that looks like Deuteronomy chapter six. A legacy that looks like the line of Seth. 
um, to encourage your family to, to call upon the name of the Lord. We know that God is sovereign in that. I know that with my kids, God is sovereign over all things. I can teach them and they could turn away from God, but it's our responsibility to leave a lasting legacy, a spiritual legacy for our children. So I would encourage you in that this week. Well, the people of God then and the people of God now are called to leave a lasting legacy. And maybe you're saying, well, I don't really know how to do that. I don't really know where to start. I don't know what all particulars go into that. Is there some magic wand that I can wave to make that happen in my life? And I would say no. But I want you to look at verse 21 in this passage. It kind of flows into the next thing I want to tell you. I want you to look at the life of Enoch. And I want to, I want you to read it because I think... There's a simple, simplistic truth here um, that will inform how you leave a legacy for your family. Look at verse 21 in chapter 5, and here's what you see. Here's where real life, um, the point is this. Real living comes from walking with God, and this is what you see in the life of Enoch. Verse 21, it says, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. And here's a distinction. This is a break in the pattern that Moses has played all the way through this family line. And Enoch walked with God. It doesn't just say that he lived and how long he lived and then he died. It says that, no, he walked with God. There's a difference between just living and walking with God. And after he fathered Methuselah, 300 years he walked with God and others had other sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch's life were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. There's a real change here in this genealogy when it comes to Enoch, and the people of God then, and you and I now should notice and see that, because real living um, comes from walking with God. And that's God's intent, right? That was God's intent back in the garden, Um, He walked in the cool of the day. He wanted relationship. He wanted to walk with Adam and Eve. That was his intent and is his intent even now um, for God and man, to have relationship with you and me. But listen, Adam and Eve thought they found a better way. They thought they found a better way to be more alive. Uh, uh, They thought that God was maybe holding out on them. But that wasn't true. And that bait sits right in front of you and me every day as well. Because real living doesn't come from pursuing our own way, even though there's this bait that tells us in our flesh that tells us, man, if I just did it my way, then it would work out better. That would really be living. Like I'm missing out on something. This is the the serpent in the garden. You're gonna miss out on something unless you go your own way. And the opposite of that is true. Real living comes from walking with God like Enoch did. 300 years. It said he walked with God for 300 years. And this was a culture that was messed up like your culture and my culture is messed up right now. And so he walked through that. He lived amidst the cursed and he walked with God. What a great encouragement that is for us as we think of life today, that we can still walk with God. Even though we still live under the curse and the effects of the curse, we can still walk with God. But what does that mean? What does it mean to walk with God? Well, it's not just the rote, um, pious obedience to commands. The idea of walking with God that you see over and over in Scripture, you're going to see that Noah walked with God. You're going to see God calling Abraham to walk with him. And we're going to see it in the New Testament as well. It, it's, it, it's more centered on this idea of having relationship with God, knowing him personally. When I think about taking a walk, um, I, 
I either take a walk around my neighborhood alone or there's somebody that's close to me like my wife or my kids that walk with me. And so this is about relationship. God wants relationship with us. And this text says that this man, Enoch, walked with God for 300 years through thick and through thin. And this is what it looks like to leave a a legacy. So if you want a, a short answer to what does it look like to leave a legacy, there's a lot of particulars that we could talk about. But at the end of the day, if you want to leave a legacy, the, the, the foundation of that and the, and the river in which that flows out of is walking with God and knowing God and, and spending time with the Lord. Colossians 2, 6 says it this way. For you and me as believers in Christ, just as you receive Christ as Lord, so walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. See to it that no one takes you captive with empty words. And so that's what it looks like for you and me as Christians. It means that we're built up and rooted in Christ. Um, I gave you an example of my my pawpaw. Um, My my wife's grandmother grew up in Palestine, Texas. As a matter of fact, she is in Palestine right now, uh, taking the kids to see the dogwoods and going to the grave sites and cleaning them off and going by the house her mom uh, grew up in. And uh, Gladys Griffin was, Griffith, was my... Uh, wife's grandmother. And Gladys Griffith came to know Christ at a young age. She, she got involved in uh, First Baptist Church in Palestine when she was young. And she taught Sunday school in the third grade class, Wendy, you'll appreciate this, for 70 years. She never left Palestine. She served these little children for 70 years. It's on the books. I'm not lying. 70 years this woman served faithfully the children of First Baptist Church, Palestine, when she moved and moved to Seguin to to come live with the family in her last days, I would see her every day with her Bible open and I would see by her little rocking chair, uh, her little devotional daily bread. This is a woman who walked with God in a long period of time. And so real living comes from faithful, uh, a marathon of walking walking with God. So if you want to leave a family legacy, you be faithful to walk that marathon um, of living faithfully before the face of God, as the word of God says. So my question maybe for you this morning is this, are you, who are your walking partners? You know, who are your walking partners and, and who are you spending time with and what are you spending time doing? Um, who are your walking partners? Are you walking and pursuing God for God? Are you just checking that box and saying, okay, I had my quiet time, um, I, I went to church, I did these things. But are you cultivating a relationship with God? That's what he desires from you. This is what God word, God's word tells us. You know, notice um, at the end of that section, it says about Enoch in, in verse 21 and 22, it says that God took him. That didn't, he didn't experience death like the others did. And you can apply this verse really wrongly. Um, you, some people might apply this and say, see, if you walk with God, then you won't die. Um, but what we see um, through all this text, as well as the rest of scripture, is that Noah walked with God and he did die. Um, and so what we do see in scripture is a couple of people that were taken, that God spared them death and brought them into his presence. We see it here with Enoch and we see it also uh, with Elijah. That may win you a Bible bow contest at some point. But we only see a couple of examples of that. And so I don't think it's really about if you walk with God, then you will be spared from death because most of us experience 
death. Most of the saints in the Bible experienced death, but I do think it was teaching the people of God then a message. It was teaching them a lesson at that point. Because back in the day, in that day, we didn't have all of the scripture to understand resurrection. We understand resurrection today better than they did then. And so here are people that are about to go into the promised land, and they've watched all of their descendants die. They've watched them die. Moses probably did more funerals than anybody in the Bible or any pastor today as the old generation died out. So they've seen a lot of death and they're looking for hope and they're looking for this deliverer. But this is a message when they were to read it to say, hey, there is hope after death. There is life after death. And so this is the message I think that Moses has for the people is that there is, there is life after death. Death, and that kind of leads us to our last thought here. Death is inescapable. For most of us, unlike Elijah, unlike uh, Enoch here, death is inescapable, but it's not the end. Death is inescapable, but it's not the end. See, death and decay, I don't think we're in the garden. I don't think that was God's intent. There was a relationship between man and God then, but you come to chapter two and you see the warning. You see the responsibility of Adam and Eve not to take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they took it, they would what? They would die. Here's what's interesting. When you look at verse five, it's kind of eerie in Genesis five, verse five, because Genesis two or Genesis three, they fall into sin and they spiritually certainly die in Genesis three in a spiritual way that they're separated from God, but God in his gracious is gracious and he's merciful. And what you see is God sustaining Adam and Eve's life, even past that, their physical life. And yet, the curse eventually catches up. Look at verse five in chapter five. It says, the days, excuse me, thus all the days of Adam lived were 930 years and he died. See, death is inescapable, but it's not the end. Um, and so this is what you see. And really, um, I'll be, if, if I look at Genesis chapter five, the primary theme is actually death. You see it, and he died, 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 and he died. Nine times, nine out of 10, they died. Their life ends with physical death. I don't know, I don't know about you, but um, in, in the culture that, we live in, my observation is this, is that we don't like talking about death. Um, we don't even call, uh, we don't even talk, we don't even call funerals funerals anymore. We call them memorial services. And that's not a bad thing. We want to remember the life of those who have passed on. We remember their lives and their people. But we are shocked by death oftentimes. Kobe Bryant died a few months ago and it was so shocking. It was A, shocking in a right way because it was well before the time in which Anybody would imagine some, a celebrity or anybody to die at age 40 or 41, and that's hard to cope with. Um, but we live in a culture that just kind of pushes death to the side, and we don't take it uh, maybe as seriously as we do, as we ought to. Maybe it's because we live in a culture uh, that is so blessed, and we don't have to think about the reality of death like maybe even our grandparents did, and it's not, um, it's not before us, and yet something like COVID-19 comes along. And um, mortal fear becomes a reality for all of us. And these are thoughts likely that we've all had. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my family? What does this mean for my mother and my father, my, my grandparents? What does this mean? One guy said it this way, that there is mortal fear in the streets. You can cut it with a butter knife right now. And perhaps, um, surely God can care for us in and through our fears. 
He can care for us in our concerns. He can care for us in our anxieties in this time. But what's interesting about the Bible is that the Bible often talks about death and it often talks about the eternal perspective that we ought to have in life that fuels faithfulness in and through trials. If you read the book of 1 Peter, this is a major theme in the book of 1 Peter, whatever may come, um, that God is with us, the future hope we have and the future grace that we have because of Christ, that he died in our place. Uh, Romans 12 says it like this, It says, just as sin, and it kind of summarizes Genesis 3 through 5. It says, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. In Adam, you and I inherit that curse. And that's really what Genesis 3 through 5 shows us. But when you scroll down just a little bit in in Romans chapter 5, um, that's the bad news. The good news is verse 17. Look at verse 17 in Romans chapter five there. It says this, death reigned through one man's trespass. That's Adam. Because of him, we inherit sin. But much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man. So one man brought sin into the world and one man, Jesus Christ, um, conquered sin and death so that you and I might have life. That's a great message. That's the message of the gospel. You know, maybe I could tell it like this. Um, There's a story of a mother who got a call from a teacher a number of years ago. And this... uh, this teacher wanted to, to, to tell this mother a little bit about what was going on with her son. And it was the first time um, little Mark ever had uh, a teacher call the house. And so he was a little bit worried. Well, the, the teacher began to tell this story um, after she called Mark's mom. said, hey, we had this writing assignment. We had this writing assignment and it was about the ant and the grasshopper. And so let me tell you uh, what's going on here. So the, the writing assignment was that the students finished the story. And so the story goes like this. Uh, the ants stored up food for the winter uh, during, the, during the other months. And then the grasshopper uh, didn't. He played in the grass and ran around in the grass. And so then winter came. And the grasshopper comes to the ant and says, Hey, I didn't store up enough food. Will you give me some? And the assignment from the teacher was for the students to finish the story. And before the teacher would tell Mark's mom what Mark did, she told him this, you know, most students with this story, what they do is they say, uh, they finish the story by saying, okay, the grasshopper went to the ant and the ant shared his supplies and both lived. Or every once in a while, the teacher said to the mother, every once in a while, you know, you have a student who says, you know, the, the grasshopper comes to the ant, the ant says, no way, I stored this up. And so the grasshopper dies. But she said, you know, your son did something different. When I gave him the assignment, he asked if, if, if he could draw a picture. And I said, you can draw a picture, Mark, um, but you also need to finish the story. And so he's, the teacher said, I've never had a student do this. But Mark said, in the rest of the story, he said this. He said, you know, the, the grasshopper comes to the ant and asks for food, and the ant gives all his food and all his supplies to the grasshopper that the grasshopper might live and the ant dies. And he said he drew a picture of Golgotha and the cross of Christ below that. That's a great picture of the gospel. That's a great picture for what Christ has done for you. You know, if you're here um, listening this morning and you've not yet trusted in Christ, you need to know. Um, You need to know that Christ has died in your place. 
that um, he's died in your place. He's taken your sin upon himself that you might have life in his name. I would encourage you to consider that this morning because I can, I'll be honest with you. Um, our church can help you. Our, our church can help you. Our church can go get groceries for you. Our church, um, in this time where you're at home, we can care for you. We can encourage you. We can pray for you. We can possibly even help you financially. But none of that compares to the help we can give you and encourage you to consider Christ that Christ died in your place, that you might have life and have life abundant on this earth. And abundance means joy and peace, not health, wealth, and prosperity necessarily, but joy and peace through good and bad. That means that when and if you die, because we all will die of the pandemic called sin because of the curse of sin and death, that one day that when you die, that you could have eternal life. And so this is the message that we come to today, that death is surely inescapable, but it's not the end. It's not the end. And the way in which we leave a lasting legacy is by walking with God. You know, if I could summarize it, if I could put it all together in a takeaway for you this morning, here's what I would say to you. I'd say Christ gives us life and he gives us a way to have lasting legacy. I want you to think about that for a minute. Christ brings life. He brings an abundant life here of joy and peace through whatever situation that you're in. And he also brings eternal life. He gives, he grants you life in this life and the next. And as you walk with him, he provides you a lasting legacy that is worth living. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for time in it this morning. Remind us um, of the essential truths of the gospel that Christ has died in our place and one day whenever that is whatever circumstance that is in that you sovereignly oversee death and you know the number of hairs on our head you know the days of our lives and when they begin and when they end and so we trust you with that we believe in you for that and Lord we thank you for the opportunity to walk with you that even though we live amidst the curse that we could still choose to walk with you to have communion with you every day. And Lord, we pray um, that we would leave, we would make the choices to leave a lasting legacy that people might worship you. We thank you for your word in Jesus' name, amen.